So this is a conversation I had with Rocky Op, the spokesperson for the office of Benny Wenda. Uh, Rocky is currently in Europe, but the focus of his work and Benny Wenda's work is in trying to support and eventually bring about independence for West Papua. If you listen to part one in this series, uh, our conversation with Karina Tahusajarana, that was more focused on sort of the history and um, a more of a beat-by-beat recounting of what's going on uh, in Indonesia and West Papua at the moment. In part two of our series on West Papua, our conversation with Rocky, it's much more about the personal and the emotional. So Rocky's father was murdered. Uh, we talk about what Benny Wenda, uh, as an independence activist, has had to endure in terms of witnessing sexual violence, murder, and so on. So this conversation is much more, I think, about understanding the emotional toll of of what it means to live under colonialism, to live under uh, a regime that is um, uh, uses the military or uses carceral power to uh, maintain control of a given area, and, and sort of, I think, gives a good peek into some of the stresses and and suffering um, that West Papuans have had to endure. If you like what we're doing, we have numerous programs with activists and artists in Asia. You can check those tours out and activities out at asiaarttours.com. We have plenty of great interviews and content up with activists all over the world. We just spoke to Medea Benjamin of Code Pink last week about war and protesting. Um, and you can always get in touch with me at matt at asiaarttours.com. That's my email, and I always love hearing from listeners. All right, here's our conversation now with Rocky Ock from the office of Benny Wenda on West Papua and what activists and protesters are having to endure there as they try to gain independence from Indonesia.
the best place to start would be who is Benny and then how does his story connect to West Papua's? Well, Benny is, Benny Wender is like um, uh, an elected uh, tribal leader in the first place from the Highlands. After that, he, uh, because he was a very outspoken person who who educated uh, a lot of West Papuans and students uh, uh, at the in a stage when he still was lived in West Papua, uh, and so he also organized events gatherings in West Papua, where he you know uh, informed people um, indigenous West Papuans about the importance of understanding the history of West Papua, how it's actually uh, be- illegally became part of the Indonesia we know today. And therefore he was put in prison in the first place uh, um, uh, by the Indonesian so-called security forces. Um, but he managed to flee to get out of uh, the prison and you know get asylum in the UK, where he since... Uh, I think 10, 15 years ago, he's based in Oxford. And from there, he started uh, the Free West Papua campaign to raise awareness about the situation in West Papua and um, how the West Papuans, indigenous West Papuans, you know, have been marginalized and discriminated in their own land. Um, so after that, I think, now, the Free West Papua campaign, where I am running the Netherlands chapter, exists for almost 10 years. And in the 10 years, we really have created change by, uh, you know, educating people about what is happening in West Papua. And it all actually started with uh, Benny Wenda. So this is a man, a, a, a chosen a tribal leader. And now he is like the chair of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua. So he is like, uh, you know, um, the leader of our a peaceful struggle for towards uh, the right of self-determination. So I think that is in short, you know, how I see Benny Wenda and how he, his story inspired me and a lot of West Papuans just by telling what is happening in West Papua. And every indigenous West Papuan uh, have their own experience uh, in their life uh, living under colonial Indonesia. And Benny Wenda's story is just one of those. Uh, but it is one to mention because, you know, he inspires a lot of West Papuans by finding the courage and the responsibility to do what is right. Uh, and that is what we are doing today. So when um, people are reading about the situation, could you outline what is the current situation politically? Who are the parties involved and what are the demands of the protesters? What are they demanding and, and how are they demanding it? Yes, yeah, so the situation now in West Papua is that West Papua is actually a, a colonized country after the Dutch. Uh, the, the Netherlands was the former colonizer of West Papua. But in the early 60s, they actually prepared the West Papuans towards independence by giving them a Morningstar flag, a first government, the New Guinea Council, and their own Papuan voluntary corps in, in the early 60s. Uh, but because of huge international pressure with the United States in front, they were forced to transfer the sovereignty of former Dutch New Guinea, we know, as we know uh, West Papua today, uh, to 
Indonesia without the consultation and involvement of any indigenous West Papuans. So this agreement was signed on August 15, 1962, between the Netherlands and Indonesia. And since then, West Papua was actually becoming part of Indonesia. But in that agreement, there was an article which mentioned that the West Papuans should have the um, opportunity to express whether they wanted to be part of Indonesia or not. And it happened uh, uh, um, in 1969 under the controversial uh, so-called act of free choice, the referendum, where a lot of West Papuans today are demanding a review and a demanding a, a new um, referendum. And it is because people should know and understand why the West Papuans today are uh, demanding a referendum, because the so-called referendum uh, which was held in 1969, which is controversial, um, um, confirmed uh, different uh, scientific reports, also from the Dutch government, which have been shown that this so-called referendum was a big farce because there were just 1,026 men who were handpicked on gunpoint and where their family members were threatened to be killed if they choose for uh, a, a the right of self-determination for West Papua. So that was the referendum which decided that West Papua should be part of Indonesia as we know it today. And that is the root causes of all the problems we see today in West Papua. So after 1969, after the Act of Features, the referendum, which Indonesia is uh, saying that it is a legitimate uh, uh, event uh, where the international community facilitated by the United Nations have agreed that West Papua should be part. Um, but if you will bring this case to the International Court of Justice, the international law is very clear. And that is where our lawyers are focusing on at this very time to bring the West Papua case back to the International Court of Justice, where a judge should decide whether it is um, illegal or not. So that is the challenge where our campaign and um, our United Liberation Movement is focusing on. But what we see today in West Papua is the very, uh, very, uh, the root causes of the sentiment living uh, uh, in West Papua, uh, as the West Papuans express them now, as we see on every video, is that they feel, you know, they uh, are prisoner in their own land. And they see Indonesia as colonizer after the Netherlands. We have a new colonizer, which is Indonesia. And Indonesia is only interested, as we know, on our um, huge natural resources, right? For example, world's biggest gold mine, which is uh, Freeport McMoran, owned by a US Australian um, uh, company, which is the biggest taxpayer alone to, the, to Jakarta. And besides that, it is also the third largest copper mine. We have a LNG gas field run by British Petroleum, and we have a lot of other resources. So we are not poor, uh, but the West Papua lives as poor citizens in Indonesia, um, uh, have been handled as second-class uh, second citizens in their own land. So this is the sentiment, and I want to be clear, underline that for the, for the people who, who must understand uh, the protest uh, we see today in West Papua is like, a five-decade-long struggle of against marginalization, against discrimination, knowing that you are one of the wealthiest countries on this planet, uh, living as poorest without a good education system, without a, a good healthcare system, and all those kind of 
basic things where we have the right on living in our own country, knowing that we are very rich. So I think those are the most important elements people should know uh, what, what caused all these problems in West Papua. And the only solution, what these protesters want, is the right of self-determination, which was promised and prepared by the Dutch in the early 60s and was hijacked by Indonesia and the pressure of the international community. So, um, and the only solution will be a review of that act of free choice, of, uh, which was held in 1969. So that is why we see today all these protesters are demanding referendum. They want a review because the 1,026 men who were handpicked on gunpoint uh, didn't vote for the entire uh, indigenous community of West Papua, which was uh, 1,800,000 000 at that time. So uh, uh, that will be the solution, and that is the demand from all the protesters we see today. So when you talk to uh, the, the Maori in New Zealand or the Native Hawaiians uh, in Mauna Kea, they'll talk about, um, for them, oftentimes, you know, though they do live in capitalist societies, a big uh, catalyst, a big uh, reason behind the protests are sort of questions of society and values, where they feel that they're put under a system that they never really got to choose. So I think Western media probably does a very bad job covering uh, Indonesia and uh, Papua New Guinea. Could you tell us a bit about what are some of the societal values or... Um, some of the um, elements that protesters have found very important that uh, has been denied to them by either the Dutch or Indonesia? What is sort of the society or the values or the community that they're fighting for that they are denied under Indonesian rule or were denied under Dutch rule? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, Matt. Thank you very much. I think, you know, uh, what... Um make the West Papans and all other like indigenous communities, uh, First Nation people uh, in other parts uh, um, of the Pacific region and elsewhere, is that uh, our cultures and values are based on indigenous heritage. Uh, the way we, you know, the way we come together in, in communities, the way we make music, the way we uh, cook our food, you know, all this uh, ancient uh, habits, values are actually being ignored by the so-called Western civilized world uh, who are dominated their way of life into our cultures, into our land. So, and I think now as we see these um, other movements and people who are standing up, uh, which is their right, because, um, you know, it is the land where, where, which has been given them, where they've been born uh, for, eight, for centuries. Uh, have been hijacked by, you know, a other dominant culture power who want to, uh, you know, um, who want to, yeah, let me say, uh, let their own dis uh, culture disappear. And I think they, those are, uh, that, that's, I think, um, one of the main problems uh, we see in this different movement. But at, I think the at the end, it's like... A, a, about the same thing, which is values of these indigenous communities who have been giving them from, you know, um, elderly community, from father to son, from mother to daughter. These kinds of uh, cultural values um, have been uh, ignored. 
and and I think the Western, you know, media uh, played a a very big role in this by not uh, exposing this uh, this cultures and values which meant everything for for uh, indigenous communities, for example, for West Papua, but also for other people. And what we miss is the the West Papua perspective uh, played out on big news stories, broadcast centers, because my story um, um, you never heard here in the Netherlands, even knowing that we are a former colony of the Netherlands. Today, our main challenge is to educate Dutch so-called university students, even the teachers, about our shared history. So it is not, you know, the story of the indigenous West Papuans that they have been taught. It is the, the, the perspective they want to tell from the point of view of the civilized, you know, Western politician, or Western corporation, or Western uh, media. So that is the problem. We, you should start, you know, making news coverage from the point of view of, uh, you know, the indigenous communities who lived there for, for centuries. And I think that is uh, like a turning point we should um, heading um, because these communities are also the ones who are actually safeguard like uh, 80% of world's biodiversity. So even in the climate change discussion, we miss this kind of perspective. And, and that is why I, uh, for example, uh, are becoming a kind of all-round activist because, you know, uh, 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 in the form of climate activist, because in West Papua, you know, it is about huge lands and forests we are seeing disappeared by these corporations, by the ignorance of these Western governments. So the climate change discussion, for example, in the, from the point of view of the West Papuan, indigenous West Papuans, is about giving our land right backs, giving our indigenous right backs, and we will safeguard the forest where we live in as, as mother. Um, uh, so these kinds of narratives and perspectives should go, um, should reach, you know, the Western societies, and then we will have a huge shift. So for uh, New Zealand, Ihumatal, outside of Auckland, that has long had a very sacred connection to the Maori people, Manokea obviously is a symbol of a larger fight, um, where it's a sacred mountain, but it represents the Hawaiian people saying that they've never had the right to self-determination, that they should be uh, still an independent kingdom based on the treaties that they signed with the United States that were not honored. For West Papua, could you tell us any specific symbols that sort of represent the West Papuan people that we would see or would be discussed often as an example of this is why we want our freedom? Is there a landscape? Is there... Uh, a symbol like the birds of paradise? Is there um, something, a concept or uh, a place or uh, a figure like Benny that a lot of people see as a symbol for a larger fight? And if I'm trying to learn more about West Papua, I could look at this symbol and study this symbol as a way to better understand this fight. Well, I think it's, um, it's a collective of symbols it depends on um, in, from which tribe you look because West Papua exists of more than 250 tribes uh, of indigenous peoples so every tribe like got their own way of you know honoring uh, their uh, ancestors the nature but one what the thing we have in common in West Papua 
is that we all care about our nature. So, for example, world's biggest gold mine, located in the heart of West Papua, um, was once, you know, a huge mountain. Uh, and it was a kind of sacred mountain for the communities who live there. And now it's like world's biggest pit. So we completely understand the story and the emotions of the uh, Maori uh, communities because we've experienced it since, you know, we have been colonized by Indonesia. And since that moment, our sacred land has been destroyed. And it touches every indigenous Papuan, every indigenous tribe in West Papua. So what, uh, what unites us is the forest. It connects us all to each other. And since we haven't control of our own land, of our own resources, uh, that is the reason these corporations um, could just do whatever they want. Uh, and what they're doing is, you know, destroying our, our livelihoods, our, um, you know, ancestral land, our way of living, our culture, our everything. Our future is now really uh, heading towards an extinction if we won't change anything um, of the situation in West Papua. So it is famished what, ha what is happening in West Papua is, 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 um, uh, is actually happening to a lot of indigenous communities. You know, they see their land um, being destroyed by corporations but just for economic benefits for, you know, this uh, Western societies or this powerful rich nations who, you know, want to live a luxury life. Uh, but the people who are paying it uh, is our indigenous communities in West Papua, in New Zealand, in South America, in Brazil. So our stories are actually the same. What we want is just to live as, uh, as we lived for uh, uh, centuries um, uh, in our own land, with our own values, with our own cultures. And I think that is a story which connects us all. So for these protests, what started the most recent round? And I'll emphasize again, because Hong Kong and Maori and um, Native Hawaiians will all say, look, this is not one protest. This has been going on for decades. Ever since we were colonized, we, we've said and we've acted and we've protested because no one wants to be colonized. And I think that's very um, confusing for Western countries where they'll look at one protest and then they it, you have to explain to them, no, this is ever since we were invaded, we said, stop invading us. Um, so for these protests, though, specifically, um, now that we've emphasized that, I wanted to ask what started the most recent round of protests? You've mentioned tribes, which I think will be confusing for Western listeners. Um, who are the protesters? Is it uh, a mixture of tribes? Is it one predominant tribe? Um, is it old people, young people, a mix of everyone? So what started these most recent protests? Do they have any um, historical links? And then who are the protesters? Where do they come from? And, and how are they protesting? Are they protesting violently? Are they protesting nonviolently? How are they demanding? And what are they demanding? Yes. Yeah, so thank you, Matt. I think the the what sparks the 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 recent protest in West Papua was a you know a racist uh, act 
against uh, West Papuan students in Surabaya uh, on the island of Java. So uh, that sparks, you know, the video went went viral, and that sparks the uh, like the the emotion we see in the protest the last two weeks in West Papua. Uh, so, but this is this is like as you mentioned before, we this is not something new for us. This is something we experienced from day one when Indonesia and other countries, uh, the Netherlands, colonized us. So, you know, uh, um, treated like uh, a, a second-class citizen in your own land uh, is a racism, uh, you know, every colonized uh, people experience. And, and it wasn't different for us. But the, what sparks to come back at the protests we see today is it has never been this big because um, what we see today is a protest not of the students movement it is the entire nation in resistance which what started with um, uh, students who have been uh, have been uh, have had racist comments from uh, bystanders in Java from police and security is not something new, but it's it probably it sparked you know the sentiment of seventy five years of racism by the Indonesian government security forces and against indigenous West Papuans. So, and what started with the students, you know, went to the villages, went to the elderly went to the academics, went to the church people. So the protest in West Papua, as we see it the last two weeks, is unique. I have never seen it, and I think nobody else has seen this. And suddenly you see this uh, Western media you know, saying, yeah, we haven't seen this before, but what they, they knew from the beginning that the indigenous West Papuans are marginalized in their own country since Indonesia took over, but yet they didn't want they it wasn't important enough to you know to cover it uh, um until now like there are riots and then they want to publish with headlines like Papuans burned down government or offices what about the 500,000 killings which is one third of the indigenous west papuans since indonesia occupied us in the early 60s what about that shouldn't that be a header from the moment uh, you heard about west papua which they know since the Western corporations uh, are just benefiting from our resources, uh, like their foreign ministries didn't know what happened there? Of course not. They know exactly what was happening there. Uh, but they don't tell the full story about what is happening there, that they are, their, their banks are investing in these gold mines, are investing in these power oil companies in West Papua. So this is not something new. This is like 75 years of colonization, of discrimination, of suppression of indigenous peoples in their own land, with the result that 500,000 Papuans have been killed under the eyes of the international community. And the Western media were looking the other side, and now they kind of have a kind of wake-up call because Papuans are burned down uh, as one or two governmental offices, which are like colonial monuments in their cities. So this is an anger of 57 years of colonization, marginalization, and discrimination, which we see from not only West Papuan students in Jakarta or in, in, in Java, but students all across West Papua, elderly people, academics, teachers, religious people, and also, you know, 
governors uh, uh, living um, uh, in West Papua. So this is like a never shown um, uh, a protest um, in, the in the last, what is it, uh, 50 years. So this is huge. This is huge. And I think we really have reached a turning point um, uh, for uh, big changes in West Papua because the demands are very clear. There won't be change as long as West Papua is part of Indonesia, because even when, you know, um, the rest will come back, that the protests will stop, this sentiment will never disappear. This colonial behavior of Indonesia will never change. West Papua is like the most militarized zone in the world, um, with everywhere checkpoints. Um, knowing that we live in our own country, so we are like prisoners in our own country every day, uh, handled like second-class citizens, this sentiment will never go away. And that is what the world must, you know, must know and must publish. Actually, not oh, these two weeks. They should publish it every day until West Papua got the right of self-determination, which was hijacked by Indonesia. So I think it's important for um, racism to be seen up close I think for a particularly many Western activists, they'll say things like racism, and it's easy for that to be very abstract. So for people who have never been to West Papua and are not uh, West Papuan, could you describe just on the ground growing up or from the, from the time you're born to the time you die, what does the system look like? What does that racism look like on a day-to-day -day basis? What does violence or uh, sexual violence um, look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And what does sort of the economic violence look like on a day-to-day -day basis? So, so yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not, I grew up in, in the Netherlands. So uh, I, you know, couldn't describe it as much as somebody who really grew up there. But, you know, uh, in, in a general line, you could say that uh, a, a indigenous West Papuans who have who born in West Papua um, doesn't got the proper education. Um, a, for example, a Javanese boy or girl who have been transmigrated, who have been born in West Papua. So the the opportunities are not the same um, uh, on educational level, on social, uh, on social level. Uh, so. If you look at our mothers, um, the job opportunities, the business opportunities doesn't go to indigenous West Papuans, but it goes directly to migrants, to Japanese people. So you see here a really um, big gap between the opportunities of indigenous West Papuans uh, uh, born and lived there in their own country, knowing that they uh, owned world biggest gold mine and a lot of other resources that they doesn't have, uh, you know, the opportunity to study, doesn't have the opportunity for a good healthcare system. And on every social aspect, they are, you know, being handled as second-class citizens because the migrants and the Japanese people always are on the first place. And, and, um, and if you go to other parts of Indonesia, as indigenous West Papua, even when they say, you know, yes, we are, we are, we are one people. Uh, West Papua must be part of Indonesia. Uh, every Indonesian student or citizens always look with a different eye 
to a West Papuan who are entering a train or a bus, like, oh, could we trust him? So there's really a kind of not an accepting of the West Papuans into Indonesia. So why should we, the indigenous West Papuan, want to be part of Indonesia as they have never shown us as equal citizen in their so-called uh, Indonesian state? So, so that is a sentiment uh, the West Papuans are, are feeling every single day living in West Papua or in other parts of Indonesia, they are, you know, uh, not um, uh, treated or, uh, or seen as equal citizens as, you know, Japanese or other Indonesians. So I think that's, that's the sentiment of, of every Papuan who could, who could tell this story in their own very way. But in general line, this is like um, how they feel uh, as prisoners and second-class citizens uh, living in their own land, knowing that they are one of the richest um, countries in the world. So to talk about two specific instances in Benny's background, he talks a lot about rape. Uh, and I'm wondering if you could uh, explain that. Why is sexual violence such a big part of understanding the anger of West Papua? And then for the racist incident, could you explain that? What was the actual uh, incident as far as we understand it? Yeah, so let me start with the first one, you know, this um, um, raping incident is that uh, there's a kind of impunity on uh, Indonesian security forces since the moment they arrived in West Papua. It's like they got the feeling and they actually got backed up by the government uh, saying that, you know, you don't have to worry about human rights violations. And... So if you look at the report of Amnesty International of 2018, July, it says the title is very clear. Don't bother, just let them die. So the military raped whoever they wanted to. And a lot of, you know, the sister of Benny Wende himself was raped, of her auntie was raped in front of his eyes. So, and that is just his story. You know, uh, I lost my father. Um, uh, that was the reason I fled to the Netherlands. My father was an anthropologist, a musician, Arnold Up, and he was murdered um, uh, by the Indonesian Special Forces. So every indigenous West Papuans could tell their own story about a family member, uh, um, a female family member who has been beaten up by an Indonesian police or military or have been raped um, because they... Um, Indonesian military get away, uh, the government protect them, and nobody uh, has to go to court. So there's a, a big uh, impunity in West Papua, where security forces think they can play for God, they can do whatever they want. And you can see that in all the victims of indigenous West Papuans. Um, and if you look, and it is, it is the same systematic problem of racism and discrimination and, you know, impunity, which sparks um, the, the racist incident in against West Papuan students in Surabaya Java, which is not an uh, incident, but which is a systematic problem. Uh, namely, it is it is facilitated. It has been encouraged by the colonial Indonesian government. You know, this it is a kind of culture more that you know uh, human rights violations should you know should be part of their system and. And that is the sentiment that the West Papuans are, are now standing up massively 
because this racism is not an incident. It's a systematic problem which have been tolerated since day one Indonesia invaded West Papua. So a symbol that I want to ask you about is the flag, because obviously there's that very famous video um, taken, I think, by Veronica Komen, who's an Indonesian uh, lawyer, human rights lawyer. And it's a, it's a man scaling the top of a government building's flagpole to hang up the Morning Star flag. I'm wondering if you could tell me about the history of this particular flag and why it's so important to the protesters. Absolutely. Um, you know, this, the symbol of this Morning Star flag is the desire uh, uh, for freedom. And this flag um, has shown that West Papuans were actually promised by the Dutch at, uh, at, at the, the early 60s. Actually, in 1961, this flag was officially handed over on the royal decision by the Dutch government on December 1961. And uh, in that spirit, you know, the West Papuans were actually uh, prepared to take control of their own land uh, by, by the handover of installation of this flag, the Morningstar flag. So uh, this flag symbolizes the promise the Dutch gave them uh, and actually uh, was their uh, right on the international law uh, which was realized uh, in the early 60s and suddenly hijacked by the invasion of Indonesian military in 1963 and then the so-called referendum. So this Morningstar flag symbolizes the promise and the right to self-determination, which was given by the Dutch in 1961 and which still lives on every single Papuan until today. So that is what the, the flag symbolizes for the West Papuan people, the promise, the right, and the desire for self-determination. So um, Indonesia's response is interesting how their new leader was um, portrayed in Western media. I think that was just lazy because he sort of looks like Barack Obama so Western media just said, okay, he's Barack Obama of Indonesia, basically, uh, is how, at least in the U.S., uh, Joko was, was uh, written about to us. But recently, uh, specifically with a very sort of uh, Indonesian identity being a big part of their most recent election, so very um, heavy emphasis on Islam, very heavy uh, emphasis on sort of an ethnic identity. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about what Joko's response has been to the crisis, what he's been allowing the army to do there, and then what do they tell their domestic audience? So what's Joko doing? What's he allowing the army to do? And then how does Indonesian media cover the crisis? We West Papans, you know, the story is very familiar, what you said, you know, here in the Netherlands, he was also, you know, promoted as the Obama of Indonesia and the man uh, who is a citizen citizen and who's going to be bring change for Indonesia. Yeah, perhaps he brought change and he's a new wind for the other archipelagos of uh, Indonesia, except, let me underline then, except West Papua. 
we didn't expect much from him because we know who's got the real power in Indonesia, which is the military, and, and, and certainly in West Papua. And since Yokowi got, in, took, uh, got into office, uh, the first two years, the violence in West Papua against indigenous West Papuans uh, rised with 500%. So this was like uh, something we expected, that he won't, he won't be the change for West Papuans, and he is, still isn't the change. He didn't brought a lot of change. What they are selling uh, uh, and saying into the Indonesian domestic media, but also to the Western media, is that look how much prosperity Yokoi brought to West Papua by building a um, the infrastructure, they got more roads, they got more you know lighting system. Um, but um, the ones who are benefiting this so-called um, uh, uh, infrastructure uh, um, pro processes in West Papua are the migrants, are not the indigenous communities because they're still marginalized. They don't got the, the good jobs, they don't got the big cars, they don't got the beautiful house and the huge ecosystems. So these these so-called a progression in West Papua, uh, um, planned by Yokowi, is not for the indigenous West Papua. It is for the migrants who are living in West Papua, uh, uh, who are working for these big corporate Western corporations, who are benefiting from those roads and from those projects, but not the indigenous communities. So, so this is the problem. Uh, we the reality for the indigenous West Papuans is that. Yokowi have never been the change. We we already expected uh, and know that he won't be the change for West Papua because it is the Indonesian military who got the power in West Papua. They decide what will happen, and we see it even today. You know, um, the uh, the Minister of uh, Political and Security Affairs is former General Wiranto, who have been indicted for war crimes in Istimo. Is that the change of the new Obama? People must realize that. And these are the stories who are being, you know, being hidden for the uh, international audience. If I should explain this in front of the Dutch embassy, that why are, is your government and your foreign policy so ignorant about the reality, for example, for the indigenous West Papuans, your former resident of your kingdom? That, you know, is it because Unilever, like world's biggest multinational in the Netherlands, has a lot of interest in West Papua because of the palm oil industry. Is that why you are quiet about what really is happening in West Papua? So, so people, it's like the unknown, unknownness of people about what really is happening in West Papua because of the lack of interest of, um, you know, Western media to tell the truth, what is happening from the point of view of the indigenous West Papuans, and then a very different view of this so-called uh, uh, Obama, the new Obama, next Obama of Indonesia, Yokowi. Because even when he visited like the most of all Indonesian president, the West Papua region, that doesn't mean a lot of things change for West Papua. No, we, we have become still becoming a minority in, in our own land, already become a minority. And still migrants are entering West Papua. And still we are being marginalized in, in in, in our own land, and still military are getting away with killings and with raping of indigenous women and indigenous West Papua. So what is better? Where is the promise uh, you gave the world uh, and we are not still not seeing in West Papua? Actually, everything is declining. Everything is declining. So uh, tell this to the world and let us tell what it is to be a West pa indigenous West Papua living in West Papua. 
and let us tell the world what we think about Jokowi. And then uh, people will wake up because the reality of uh, Jokowi didn't brought a lot of change. Actually, it is encouraging the, the destruction and the extinction of the indigenous West Papuan race. Scott Morrison just gave an interview in uh, Australian radio where he was asked if he should criticize China about its uh, large-scale prisons uh, for in Xinjiang, which uh, many human rights observers have called concentration camps because you can be detained indefinitely uh, and many people have died inside them. Um, and he said, well, it's not our position to criticize. So part of the fight will also be changing and pressuring Western uh, leadership. I'm wondering for people who are sympathetic to West Papua, what are the crimes of their own government? So how have the Dutch, how has uh, the Australian government been very complicit, often at the behest of corporations who make huge amounts of profit? How have uh, Western governments allowed the violence of West Papua to get to this point? And if I am living in one of those countries, what can I do to pressure my own government to change um, its its behavior in West Papua? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I think uh, Western governments are playing a huge role. Uh, I think, if not the most the, the most the important role of what is happening in West Papua, uh, because uh, they were there on day one when the transfer of, if, if you look at it from the uh, Dutch point of view, um, they, they, it was their signature which uh, transferred the territory to Indonesia and actually denied the, the rights of this indigenous West Papua to collaborate in this process. So that's the first thing to mention. Uh, and so after the promise was independence, which was good, they actually denied the right of self-determination by acknowledging the illegal transfer, the illegal referendum. Uh, that is where it started. And after that, it is, you know, their moral and ethical responsibility that they didn't took until today. What they, what they uh, instead of that, you know, they uh, invested in a better relation with Indonesia, which actually means facilitating the occupation, continuing occupation of West Papua, which was facilitating uh, the extracting of these mineral resources by their respective corporations who are operating there. And if it is Unilever, it's about, you know, palm oil. If it's Dutch banks and Dutch pension funds, biggest pension funds, which is the fifth largest of the world, is investing in the gold mine, they play a very important role in what is happening in West Papua. They are actually facilitating and financing the genocide Indonesia is committing, and therefore they are they are you know guilty as well, because Indonesia couldn't do it when Western companies do not invest in this project, when Western governments um, you know uh, underline human rights, which they don't, because what they're doing is investing in 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 relations with Jakarta, is investing in more projects in West Papua and other parts of Indonesia where land have been grabbed by Indi from indigenous communities, where land have been destroyed, rivers have been polluted. So they are accepting this 
and they are actually letting Indonesia doing this and they facilitate them in this. So they play the most important role in occupations and land rights of indigenous communities all across the world. Also in Brazil, in the Amazon, it is Western comp companies who don't took the responsibility. It is Western government and foreign policy which allow these corporations to do what they are doing. So that is the story. Uh, it, citizens of those countries must understand. So they must get involved into politics. They must, uh, um, uh, you know, elect the right, the right person with the right heart uh, on a political party, and they should stay involved. And when the politicians are not doing what they've promised, they should write letters, they should get involved, and they should protest. And that is what democracy uh, must be. So we, we can ensure, you know, that the person we voted on uh, uh, do what, you know, what you wanted him to do or her to do. And that is the importance of, of citizens in the Netherlands, in Australia, to hold their governments and representative account for the acts they are allowing certain governments to do. Um, and for Australia to mention, you know, uh, being in the Human Rights Commissioner, not talking about the genocide in West Papua, that does not stroke. How is that possible? And the Dutch government last year sitting as temporary member in the UN Security Council, as former military served in the Dutch army. I know that you know, we so-called, they always profile themselves as protectors of human rights, of international peace and justice with operations uh, in Mali and Afghanistan. And, and looking away, from a genocide in your former colony, Dutch New Guinea, West Papua. How is that possible? It is the lack of interest about uh, justice, about moral responsibility, ethical responsibility. And that is where citizens should take their own responsibility to uphold to, to their uh, representative accountable for their acts. So the movement, the West Papua independence movement would say that it is a genocide that's been committed, um, meaning a systemic campaign of killing and uh, violence against West Papuans uh, for the goal of eradicating or um, of completely destroying any attempts at independence. Is that, when we think of this, would you like us to think of it as a genocide? Is that how movements such as Benny's would categorize Indonesia's behavior in West Papua? Absolutely. I think there can't be another word for that. If you, if you describe, uh, you know, the change in uh, demography in West Papua, uh, now we becoming, uh, come from different reports, we are becoming a minority in our own country. Um, uh, that there are more migrants in West Papua now than indigenous West Papuans. Uh, above that, uh, where reports are saying that uh, since the occupation of Indonesia, uh, there are more than uh, between 100,000 and 500,000 uh, killings. How, how could we describe something else than genocide? And if this won't change, we will disappear because this transmigration policy from day one since Indonesia occupied was stimulated by this government until today. So uh, if we don't change the circumstances, we will extinct, it is very clear. So therefore, we sometimes say it's a slow motion genocide, but it's that slow motion, we can get rid of that. 
we can talk about it. We are one third of our population have been killed. Why isn't that head news every day? So, and, and that is the problem of this so-called Western uh, objective media, is that these stories, you know, don't get uh, the headlines of the news media because that will that's not in the interest of their corporations, of their economy. And, uh, and, and, but this is about our survival. If we won't cut our independence, it, the outcome will be the numbers are showing we will extinct. So everything is at stake. And it is clearly a, about a genocide orchestrated, orchestrated by Indonesian government, facilitated and supported by Western government. So to, to close with just a final couple questions, um, when the protesters are on the ground, what are they doing? Are they marching? Are they burning down buildings? Are they occupying buildings? What are they? What are the? What does the movement look like right now at this moment? And then, how is Indonesia's army responding? I've heard very mixed reports about uh, protesters being killed, or the army going into schools, universities, and arresting or killing protesters. Can you clarify? what the protesters are doing on the ground, and that can be a mix of things, a mix of marching, a mix of occupying, a mix of destroying government, and then the violent response. Could you describe that in, in a bit more detail? Yeah, so I think the main uh, form of uh, protest is, is like peaceful peaceful uh, demonstrations with banners, referendum, with the Morning Star flag, and where they are walking in line, in groups, uh, um, between the streets or in front of the uh, palace of the president in Jakarta. So uh, um, where mass of people are marching and screaming, we want freedom peacefully. Uh, uh, but uh, I also got some messages that they torched down uh, government buildings. But the problem is um, we just see a building on fire. Uh, so I I can't confirm who who uh, who uh, uh, you know, light up the building. Uh, but we see that, you know, uh, violent protests, they, you know, those articles saying that. But knowing that Indonesia have banned foreign media to do a objective coverage news report, you know, it's not clear for me who, who, who were actually violent and who provoked these kinds of uh, situations. What we know is that Indonesia have always created scenarios to put West Papuans on a, a bad notice on, you know, international media, domestic media, that they, they are criminals. It is the freedom fighters, these rebels, these separatists who have created this chaos. It is, you know, a strategy Indonesia always used. So um, if they are, have confidence that, you know, West Papuans are using a lot of violence, which I not absolutely not believe, and I do know that a lot of protests are peaceful and our messages of Benny Wenda and of our campaign is always peaceful campaigning. So that is our main message. And of course, there are incidents. But I think it is, uh, it is very clear and very familiar also by those government and Western intelligence agencies that it is the Indonesian military who, are, uh, who is the mastermind about creating chaos and giving default to the indigenous peoples or to the rebels or to the resistance movement. That is their standard tactic procedure. So if they, are, if, if they have nothing to lose, from our point of view, we want to invite the entire Western media to do uh, reports in West Papua. And probably 
it is Indonesia who don't want them to do the report. So it is up to them. Probably they have something to hide. And we know what it is. It is the truth. Because what we want is the world to know what is happening there. So we are not sending uh, journalists away. We are not uh, 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 not allowing UN Human Rights Commissioner, UN, the UN Human Rights uh, Commissioner, uh, visiting West Papua. It is Indonesia. So looking at this news coverage, you know, I always look at it with a with a blink because, um, yeah, it is Indonesia who not allowing these journalists to do a open and free coverage. So the truth is always in the middle. And until then, uh, I know my people. I know that the majority are of protesters are peaceful activists, such as me, such as Betty Wenda, who are saying we just want to tell the truth, nothing more, nothing less. So until then, the truth is in the middle, and West Papuans are peaceful protesters. And it's important for Westerners to understand, when you say not allow, you mean under the threat of death. I've, you're not the first organization I've contacted. Um, I've contacted Indonesian journalists, and if you're in West Papua, you have to go through safe houses. You, you can't talk to people who you don't trust, because you'll be killed. Um, it's not just uh, you're not allowed. It, it, I don't mean to, to disagree. I just want to emphasize this for listeners. It's under the threat of torture or death or imprisonment if you're a journalist and you're trying to go there, especially for Indonesian media. Um, they do not want a different story being told of um, the army's brutality, of the numerous instances of sexual violence, and of the economic discrimination and racial discrimination that's been going on in West Papua. So it's very important because most Western journalists are quite, they have comfortable lives. You know, they, they, they don't have to deal with these things. They go to press conferences. But this is really risking your life if you want to tell this story. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely fair. I want to underline that. That's a good add of uh, emphasis. And that's very true. It's about... Uh, threats on daily basis for journalists who are who want to you know do a report um, even in secrecy they will put their lives at, at at stake that's very true and even even human rights laws even uh, um, uh, priests religious you know leaders in West Papua are being monitored and intimidated on a daily basis just because they are telling what is happening there when they are reporting, to you know, uh, NGOs or human rights lawyers outside West Papua, they put their life at 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 risk, and so it is very true. And I I want to thank you to emphasize that, because it is um, it is a huge risk. You could get like a life sentence for treason, uh, which happened to some Western journalists, for example, the two French journalists, which at the end get free, but they were you know. Uh, prosecuted with uh, uh, brought to the court with for treason, just because they report what is happening in West Papua. So yes, um, intimidation is very clear from the from the Indonesian government. They don't want people to report objectively and about the truth, uh, and that is I think one of the most most problems. And why is it that Western government doesn't talk about that? And uh, and still, uh, you know, um, just working on better relations with Indonesia. So actually, they are um, 
uh, allowing Indonesia to forward this kind of intimidation to not allow press entering West Papua because the business as usual just continues and that is the problem. Well, to end, um, I I don't like when protests uh, are when a, the Westerners say this is what the people want. I find that very insulting, and a lot of that's going on in Hong Kong, where the Hong Kong protesters have five demands for the most part. But if you read Western media, you'll you'll hear many different things. So, so it's not me saying this is what West Papuans want. Could you just state very clearly what demands, if any, the protesters are asking for? So just very clearly for a summary, for our conclusion, could you say what the the demands are, what the protesters want, and then how people can help uh, in any way that would, um, it could be learning more, it could be activism, what do people want? How are they demanding it? And then how can people help if they're not in West Papua? Thanks. I think, yeah, the demands for the protesters right now is um, uh, the pullback of the military out of West Papua. Uh, um, uh, and uh, being treated as equal citizens uh, in Indonesia. Um, uh, but uh, at the end, uh, having the right to a review of the referendum, and I think that is the main main objective, is to is the right of self determination, which is the the right that has been hijacked, uh, and which is the solution to all these demands. Because you know, a military, if even if the military get out of West Papua. And we haven't got control of our own resources, of our own land. Things won't change. So I think the most important demand is a, a review of that referendum, which was which took place in 1969, and the, where the West Papuans could uh, um, uh, decide whether they want to be part of Indonesia or not. But until that time, the other demands will be a visit of uh, the honoring of the visit of the UN High Commissioner. To visit West Papua and do her report, which was, you know, official uh, official decision of the last Pacific Island Forum, and so in the communique, all the Pacific Island leaders decided that uh, before the next Pacific Island Forum, the UN Human Rights Commissioner must visit West Papua. So that is something the protesters also want. That the UN uh, sent uh, in the first place the Human Rights Commissioner, but if it's possible, they will send a own fact-finding mission team to see for themselves what is happening in West Papua. And of course, you know, to uh, reopen the internet, that would be one of the de- uh, demands right now, to reopen the communications um, and to allow West Papuans to express their basic human rights. Uh, and those will be the, the other demands towards the right of self-determination. West Papuans must be allowed to protest, must be allowed to form an assembly must be allowed to say whatever they want on the international law. It is their right. It is their land. So these are their demands. Uh, give the rights of uh, protest, as, as, as assembly, of, of, of uh, expressing whatever they want. Um, and I think those are the, the most important demands right now. Well, Rocky, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, 
some of the people I know on the left are becoming more interested in West Papua because they see parallels to some of the racism that black Americans have experienced uh, for ever since America um, brought in slaves. So it's, it's something where I'm not sure what your connections are in America, but there might be some good organizations um, to reach out there and some international solidarity that can be built because this is a question of colonialism, but it's also a question of racism. It's also a question of identity where the racism that West Papuans have had to endure, I think would be very familiar to African immigrants in Europe, would be very familiar to African Americans in the United States. And I think there's a lot of solidarity that can be built. And I, I want you to know, at least from my perspective, your struggle sounds like many other struggles that I've heard. And I think those struggles are starting to come together and hopefully we can build that into something powerful and bring justice to the people of the world who have been colonized, who have been racially discriminated against, who have been exploited. And, and I hope this is the start of a much larger movement that brings together many different people and many different causes. Yeah, Matt, absolutely. Thank you very much uh, in the first place for having me uh, on, 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 your, on your interview. Um, but I want to uh, add something uh, on your proposal. Absolutely. You know, I'm just new in our campaign. I got the opportunity to be spokesperson for this, this, this first year. So, but my, my focus is absolutely here in the Netherlands and now starting just here in Europe, in London, to connecting different movements. For example, you know, this racism, uh, anti-racism movement in the Netherlands, uh, this climate movement, Extinction Rebellion, because we have all a kind of common goal. And my message to, to the climate activists here in the Netherlands and in London is like, you know, we can't uh, fight climate change and not mentioning capitalism, not mentioning colonialism, because these are the root causes which brought us to climate change. So... Uh, from the point of view of indigenous West Papuans, the reports of the UN, uh, IPCC and other UN uh, reports are very clear. It is indigenous communities who protected 80% of both biodiversity. So if we wanted to fight climate change, we must protect indigenous rights. And it is about in, indigenous rights, it's about colonization, it's about indigenous rights who've been ignored. So we have, I absolutely underline the, the the, the effect of working together, connecting different movements. And that is why I'm in the Netherlands known as an Arwand activist joining anti-racism movements in the Netherlands. But it, I'm very curious about these movements in the US. And when there will be opportunities, I would absolutely connect with them because what is happening with Papa today, you know, uh, uh, happened, you know, earlier in, in a different form. So it is similar and we should support each other. And Extinction Rebellion, where I'm also connected with in London, uh, is like it's a fight against this greed system, which is based on extracting more and more, uh, uh, bringing us to the bridge of uh, extinction, which is very clear. And it is it is visible in West Papua. And that is why I'm involved in this movement, because my story is their story. But it's about educating each other. And West Papua will be a showcase. That is what I can assure of these different movements, and I'm connecting the Dutch right now, the Dutch here in the Netherlands, in the UK, to start, but talking about climate change, uh, uh, fighting climate change, and not understanding and not willing to know what is happening on world, second 
biggest rainforest, which is West Papua. You are not understanding what uh, you're not understanding the opportunities for the solution. And so it's about indigenous lands, West Papua is indigenous land. We houses world's second largest rainforest after the Amazon. It is. It must be interested for every climate activist, and that is what I'm educating them here. You cannot talk about solutions action now and ignoring what is happening in West Papua. So we should work together on this. But it is about understanding, and it's about understanding colonialism. It's about understanding capitalism. But it goes hand in hand. So these movements have a lot of similarities, and I am doing my utmost best to connect this movement. But it's about educating because they. Uh, do not know what is happening there, so it is up to us to tell them. But I'm very optimistic that West Papua will be a showcase for all these movements to to bring the change the world is uh, uh, is needed today. Have needed today. Yeah, that's it, Matt. I just wanted to add that one. For for people who want to find out um, more about you, um, could you please say uh, the org- the organizations you're working with, and then for West Papua, if you have a re- uh, Recommendations for media. You know, I can recommend uh, Veronica Corman, obviously, who's doing very brave work there. But it's very hard to get good coverage of West Papua. What would you recommend for discovering more about the movement, more about the history, and then for current events? Do you have recommendations? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Veronica Coleman is a, a very good uh, human rights lawyer on the field who could say firsthand, but I, I could in, uh, understand that she's very busy. Um, uh, church leaders in West Papua, so there's like a collaboration of church leaders in West Papua. You should contact them and they could give firsthand information about what is happening there. You know, in general line, uh, if they want to get more information about West Papua, you know, our campaign is always open to uh, if 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 Benny is not there, I will be always willing to inform them, and that is that is actually my job, educating people about what's happening in West Papua. So uh, feel free to go to a website um, uh, Um and you know if I'm not available, there will be something else from our campaign who want to speak to them. And after that, there will be there's also a international coalition for West Papua. Which is a collaboration of all kinds of different organizations who are working in West Papua, and the name is ICP, so International Coalition for West Papua. So I would recommend them to get a lot of information on their websites to know what is happening in West Papua. So I think that that's the most, um, yeah, most recommendations I want to give, I could give. Well, Rocky, um, enjoy uh, spending time with your baby. I thank you so much for, for chatting with me for a while. This was really interesting, and I hope um, I hope that um, West Papua can find its freedom, and I look forward to more people discovering your fight. Thank you for your bravery, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Matt, for your time and for your bravery to interview me and share, share the story. Thanks a lot, and we are very optimistic. Freedom will come. Thank you very much, Matt.